Please remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. And this reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Well, today is Christmas Day, and it's really interesting that we have no record of the very early church celebrating Christmas or the birth of the Messiah. They celebrated his resurrection, but it wasn't until about probably the fourth century, maybe the fifth, that we have a record of a celebration of Messiah's birth. Um, and the date that was chosen and is still debated is 25 December. Um, and from that time on, it, it was practiced that they would celebrate um, the Messiah's birth on, on Christmas Day until the Puritans, and the Puritans did not like it, and so they uh, banned it. And then after the Puritan era, it picked up again. And so we today in America and all over the world on 25 December celebrate the birth of the Messiah who came and is coming again. Um, I would only say from a negative perspective is it seems that we have found a way to commercialize it and sort of take away, <clears throat> away from it. But we're here and this is the 25th of December, and uh, it certainly is uh, worth celebrating that the Messiah came because the whole of human history depends on whether Messiah came 
or not. If he did not, we are doomed and damned. If he did, then we who trust in him are saved for all eternity. Um, I want to discuss his coming today. I don't want to discuss, did he come? He came. What I would like to look at is why he came. And if, I think if we were to poll most Christians and say, well, why did he come? Most Christians would probably, if they're Christians or, or, or church people, would probably say he came to, to, to die for our sins. And that's true. But that's not the whole story. There's more to it than that. And if you were listening during the scripture reading in Genesis 3, you, you have probably already anticipated where I might be going because we can go to the Gospels and clearly see that he did come. But we need to begin earlier than that to find out why he came. And Genesis 3 is the, the first hint, the first beginning of explanation um, of why the Messiah came. Genesis 1 and 2, which we didn't read, tells us that God created a perfect world and created mankind in his own image and likeness in absolute perfection. And, and he created them to rule the earth that he had made and to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill it. And, and what a glorious, glorious mandate that was. And had Genesis 3 not occurred, every person born into this world would be born with absolute perfection, total absence of any sin, and would have joy upon joy upon joy and would live forever. In fact, it occurred to me as I was thinking through this <laughs> that if Genesis 3 had not occurred, you and I could go and see Adam and Eve, maybe have supper with them and rejoice with them about what, uh, the wonderful world our God had made. But Genesis 3 did occur. And Genesis 3 was the undoing of the perfect world that God had created. And it brought to man sin and death and judgment and horror. The heaven that we would have lived on earth becomes actually a, a, a hell on earth with horrible repercussions. I mean, as, as we look at it, God curses the woman. She will have child, pain in childbirth, and there will be, the way I interpret that, there will be conflict with her husband. Now, bear in mind, that's not based on my marital experience, but... Biblical exegesis. 
The man's work will be utterly hard. Work is a good thing. God, God mandated it, but it will no longer be the pleasure that it was meant to be. And the world, this perfect world, this, this glorious world, will have thorns and thistles and things just won't work right the way they used to. So that's the, that's the world that, 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 that comes about because of Genesis 3, which we read, and the fall of man, the sin. What I want to focus on this morning is what God said to the serpent, because that tells us why the Messiah came. I want to read it again. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And this is the beginning of the Christmas story. The woman's seed would come and crush the serpent's head. The Messiah would come and utterly and completely and definitively defeat the serpent. Revelation 12 tells us the serpent is the devil. So from Genesis 3.15 on, we see a cosmic battle between the forces of good, which is the seed of the woman, and the forces of evil, which is that of the serpent. And you know, just based on this, as I read the rest of the Bible, I would expect to see Satan's name appear again and again and again that it would become a recurring theme very vividly and plainly laid out. But the story doesn't happen like that. The name Satan is rarely mentioned in the Old Testament, only a few times. So you really don't see the the name of Satan, but if you read the scriptures carefully, what you do see is this. You see the effect of Satan. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain slays his brother Abel. Lamech takes two wives, distorting the whole biblical marital pattern that God had designed. When we get to the fifth chapter, the sons of God, who are probably um, the, the Sethites, probably, take to themselves the daughters of men, who are probably those of the unbelievers. And God is so incensed at the sin of man that has grown that he destroys the world, the earth, I should say, with a flood. Saved just a very few souls. Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And and we have a new beginning and we have a new hope. And we think, well, maybe, okay. No. We read it in Sunday school. Noah gets drunk. He lies naked in his tent. 
His son Ham comes in and mocks him, disrespects his father, and God curses Ham's son Canaan. And this new hope is now dashed because we see the effect of Satan in all these things. That's what we're seeing. Not the name, but the effect. He's turned mankind against God again and again and again. And then we get to the Tower of Babel. And God has said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And where are they? They're gathered in a location. And they're gathered together to conspire together to to reach up and perhaps bring God down to heaven on their terms. And what does God do? He confuses them with different languages. And we we get to that point in the book of Genesis. And you begin to wonder, if you're reading carefully and thinking of the effect of Satan, will he win forever? Because he's clearly winning. He's clearly winning. And yet God has promised the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. He will. And so God goes to Ur of the Chaldeans and he finds a pagan by the name of Abram whose father was a moon worshiper and we may assume that so was the son. And God calls him out of Ur to the promised land. And God will take this man and make a covenant with him. And God will have a covenant people in a covenant land. And it is in that covenant land with those covenant people that God will bring forth the seed of the woman. And so there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob. Things are rocking along well and you're thinking, okay, okay, this covenant community is growing and there's hope again. But if you study their lives, really, I mean, they're they're not much to write home about. And then Jacob's son Joseph takes, goes to Egypt, and the children of Israel end up fleeing to Egypt because of famine, and God puts them there. And what is Egypt? But it's, it's really a picture of Satan's domain. I mean, these people had at least 80 gods. They were pagan to the core. And their Pharaoh sought to put to death the male children of the Israelites. And what is that but a precursor to Herod? What is that but but an aim of Satan to be sure that there is no seed of the woman? What does God do? Praise God. He brings his children out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. And there the nation grows and grows and grows. And all the nations around them, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, you name it, they are pagan to the core. And you think, well, there's hope with the Israelites. But Satan is working, you see. Satan is working. And if you study the people of Israel themselves, they are a sad case. Many, many years ago, I took a course in ancient Israel. Are you ready? From a Jewish rabbi. 
and this Jewish rabbi teaching the history of Israel with a red face and an embarrassed look admitted that the Israelites never really, as a people, never really follow the Lord. And I thought, wow, for a Jewish man in the 20th century to admit that his own people were unfaithful. Wow. But they were. And you see, Satan was working even among the Israelites to lead them astray from the Lord because he hates God and he hates those created in God's image. And he knows that God has commissioned his Messiah to one day crush the serpent's head. And he wants to do everything he can to prevent that and to take as many of those created in God's image to hell with him. And so God brings the Assyrians on the northern kingdom in 722. He brings the Babylonians on the southern kingdom in 586. And the nation Israel becomes a captive vassal nation under other nations after that point. And then came the Greeks and then came the Romans and so there you go. But in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And we know who that son was. And we know why he came. And we know what he did. Now, God sent his son to undo the works of the devil. To crush the serpent's head. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how did he do that? Well, he did that through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection and his coming again. So how, how did Christ crush the serpent's head in his life? Well, you will recall, because this is a well-taught church, you've had excellent teaching pastors for your entire history. You, you, you will recall that... Jesus is the second Adam. And you will recall that the first Adam led, well, was led into a temptation and fell. And so Satan immediately begins to work on the second Adam. From the earliest days on, he raises up a Herod who tries to exterminate all the male babies like Pharaoh before him. And they flee for safety to Egypt and out of Egypt have I call my son. God brings the Messiah back and he grows and he grows and he grows in wisdom and stature before men and God. And then... He begins his ministry, and as he begins his ministry, the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Why? Because this woman's seed must crush the serpent's head. 
And the first way he does this is by refusing to succumb to the temptation of the first Adam. He must remain sinless. He must remain perfect. He must remain unfallen if he is to defeat the serpent, Satan. And so, Satan tempts him, and again and again and again, he says, no, no, no. Study the ministry of Jesus, and you will find him engaged in demonic battle again and again. And and even the healings, some of them were seen as reversing the effects of satanic, demonic work. The Pharisees accused him of doing his powers by Beelzebub, Satan. That went nowhere. Jesus proclaims his death. Peter says, no! And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So we see Satan working in the background, deceiving, confusing. And then Satan enters into Judas. And Judas betrays the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, bear this out, please. The woman's seed crushed the serpent's head by again and again and again saying no to sin, yes to righteousness, and at every point defeated the powers of darkness in battle. But what about his death? You see, we as Christians tend to focus more on his death. And and I thank God for the substitutionary atonement. I thank God for the the penal satisfaction that was offered to the Father. Without that, we are doomed and we are damned and we we are without hope in the Lord in any, any, any new world of hope. But in his death, this woman's seed... In his death, he crushed the serpent's head. How? Well, think about it, just for a moment. And, and, and Paul tells us this in Romans 5, but we see it in Genesis 3. Sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so there's this issue of sin. And if the sin issue is not summarily handled, solved, we are doomed forever. And so what we see in the death of Jesus Christ is we see that we who were alienated from God because of our sin, and God cannot even look on our evil, we see that the very Son of God, He who knew no sin, sinless in His life, was made sin for us on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Again, substitutionary atonement, penal satisfaction, the judgment of a righteous and holy God upon His own Son in our place for our sin. And Satan has no hold on us. He's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12 tells us. But what can he accuse me of? Of course I'm guilty. 
Christ died for my sins. Christ stood in my place. Christ took the punishment due me. And so my only hope, my only plea is Jesus died for me. Begone, Satan. You have no accusation. And 1 John 2 indicates that he is our defense attorney. Really? And I don't know if he says it like this, but he stands in our stead. No, you can't accuse him. I died for his sins. So this death of Christ overcomes the sin and the punishment for sin. And Satan wanted to plunge us all into sin and leave us there to be doomed and eternally damned. And Jesus says, no, no. I will die for these people. And so it, 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 it looks as if Satan has conspired in some way with the, the, the Romans and the, and the Gentiles and, and these, uh, I'm sorry, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Romans and the, and the Israelites. And they've come together and they, they put Jesus on the cross and they punish him. And, and I'm sure he was working in the background for them to do just that. But the glory of that death is that it was a substitutionary atonement for our sins. And, and, and when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing the penalty and the guilt of our sins. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, when Christ died for us, He freed us from sin. He freed us from the penalty of sin. Romans 4 and 5. He freed us from the power of sin, Romans 6 and 8. And He frees us from the presence of sin in eternity. Praise be to God. And so in His life and in His death, Jesus Christ, the woman's seed, crushes the serpent's head. But what about His resurrection? Well... Just go back and think about it. Sin entered into the world and death through sin. The woman's seed, by rising from the dead, overcomes the death that sin had brought and frees us from the tyranny of death. Praise be to God. And that's why Paul can write, and I'm so so thankful for this, That's why Paul can write, The last enemy is to be destroyed is death. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we trivialize death in our culture, don't we? We really, really do. And it's a sad thing. I'll never forget the first sermon I heard where this pastor talked about the circle of life. And I'm sitting out there thinking, excuse me? Circle of life? So we're born, we live, we die. We become worm food. Somebody's born, they live, they die, they become worm food. Where's the hope in that? That, that, That's just Satan's lie. It's not a circle of life. Life was not meant to be a circle at at some point at which we die. Life was meant to be lived for eternity, forever. 
And, and we, we, we trivialize it and, and really euphemize it with, uh, um, he passed. Well, where did he pass to? Uh, he's resting in peace. Oh, really? Did he know Jesus? Uh, went to a better place. Mm, not so sure about that one. Cash in his chips as if life is a gambling table in Las Vegas. He's six feet under. Oh, that's a joy. And then my personal favorite. My personal favorite. This comes from a, a professor many years ago in ancient history studies. He bought the farm. I used to listen to him say that, and I'd think, well, well, which farm did he buy and where is it? You know, just he bought the farm. So I'm just here to say that in his life he defeated sin, and in his death he defeated sin, and in his resurrection he defeated death. And Satan has been defeated. There's one last thing, and I'll mention this in, really in, in closing, and that is the return of Jesus Christ ultimately and finally and completely and forever crushes the serpent's head. He, he is a roaring lion now, Peter tells us, that roams around seeking whom he may devour. And, 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 and Jesus told Peter uh, that Satan is, he wants to bring you down, and we know he, he wants to bring us down as well. So it's not as if he's not still functional in some way, but he's greatly minimized. Um, but ultimately, he'll be completely done away with. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's his doom. That's his end. That's the utter defeat. But what about us? Well, Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Satan will be gone. Sin will be gone. Any form of suffering will be gone. And God will be here in his glory, and we will be with him, and he will be our God, and we will be his people in a new heaven and a new earth to live together, Coram Deo, forever and ever and ever. Eden will be restored. The fall will be completely reversed. And we will be with God in the glory. And life will be nothing but joy from one moment to the next. Pure, unadulterated joy. And this, brothers and sisters, 
is why Jesus came. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, that he will restore all things, and that the misery that has been brought by the fall through Satan will be overcome. You will not leave us in this. We pray, Lord, that you would give us that hope every single day as we go through this life with the hardships that come with living in this world. Give us hope. Give us encouragement. Give us strength. And may we long to know our Lord better and better. And may we love the Lord's appearing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.